Welcome to Hormone Health Podcast, brought to you by Georgia Hartman and Chloe Sheehan. This podcast is an extension of Hormone Health Studio, which is our naturopathic clinic based here in Newcastle and online. We're just two naturopaths who love a laugh, coffee, croissants, and conversations about real people with real health concerns. Nothing's off limits. We're here to educate you on what's happening in your body, share emerging research, and debunk buried health misconceptions. So sit back and let us do the talking. The gut brain axis is my gut making me anxious chloe when we were talking about what topic to do this week on the podcast i thought back to a recent seminar that i was doing and this was the topic the gut brain axis is my gut making me anxious and the reason that i chose this topic is because we see anxiety a lot in clinical practice and i thought okay There are so many factors that come into play. There's so much that we can do. The interesting thing is that there's really cool research coming out, looking at dietary factors, looking at exercise, looking at lifestyle modifications and how these can impact, yes, the gut, but also feelings of anxiety. So I think let's talk about that today. My gut is the reason I have trust issues. (laughs) (laughs) So is it making me anxious? Probably. Am I making my gut anxious? Who knows? (laughs) there's some sort of access going on let's jump in so this is a talk that I did recently at a health retreat called Alicia in the Hunter Valley and I broke it up into three sections I spoke about how anxiety presents in the body I spoke about all I spoke all about the gut brain axis and I spoke about how to modulate the gut microbiome to help manage anxiety. And when I was preparing for this seminar, the research that I found was just so interesting. And there's some really practical tips that we can do to help modulate the gut microbiome to help manage anxiety. So, and and maybe before like we go into it, the thing with the gut microbiome is that it is, it houses all of our trillions of different bacteria so many different species so many different sort of colonies um it's pretty incredible how our gut microbiome can influence so many different things from our hormones from our mood and in particular anxiety which you know is one of the most common um, mood disorders in the world that people experience and i would say so many of our clients experience some level of anxiety whether it's cognitive symptoms whether it's more physiological maybe I talk about maybe it's caffeine induced yeah not everyone's like me I suppose so if we talk about the characteristics of anxiety if we break it up into two parts let's say you know and there's many different types and classifications of anxiety you know there's generalized anxiety disorder panic disorder obsessive compulsive disorder you know rather than going into all of that let's simply think about anxiety in two different ways cognitive symptoms like you know fear of losing control frightening thoughts fear of injury fear of negative evaluation of others even poor concentration confusion hypervigilance poor memory difficulty speaking and then think about more physiological symptoms like shortness of breath or chest pain increased heart rate difficulty breathing 
You can feel lightheaded. You can be trembling or have tense muscles. You can have hot flushes or just feel sick, like you just feel nauseous or have an upset stomach or diarrhea. These are all symptoms of anxiety. And sometimes people can experience these symptoms, but it not actually be a cause of anything that they know. You know, they may not be particularly anxious about an upcoming event. It may just be this physiological response that their body is having. And that's really hard because you can get increase heart rate and then you can start that over sort of thinking um but anxiety is in a sort of world of its own isn't it oh absolutely and i think irrespective of the symptoms the biggest question we hear is why am i anxious and you know like you said there can be really obvious reasons there could be a conflict there could be tension somewhere there could be a deadline coming up for sure that can make people feel anxious But the reality is that there's many factors that contribute to anxiety and we see things on a deeper level than stress or deadlines or conflict. We know that hormones can play a big role when it comes to anxiety and so we'll often see premenstrual anxiety or anxiety be affected by, yes, estrogen, progesterone, but also thyroid hormones. Also sleep, things that people take for granted, they're their routines, their their eating behaviors, their sleep, their their exercise, that all comes down to what I call like your anxiety tolerance. Mm. Um, and some days you may just be less uh, tolerant to anxiety and those symptoms present more easily. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, look, some factors are out of our control when it comes to anxiety, like trauma or genetics. Actually, genetics is interesting you know, people might not know, but we do a bit of genetic testing in clinic. And when we test your genes, we can essentially see how you're built. And there's genes such as COMPT and MTHFR and TCN2 and MAO-A that can predispose you to experiencing anxiety. So genetics is interesting, but there's things we can control. Yes, we spoke about sleep and also nutrient status. So something as simple as iron deficiency or B12 deficiency, not even deficiency, but insufficiency can contribute to feelings of anxiety. And like you said before, managing your thyroid levels, um, even though you may have previously, they have been okay. If your thyroid is over or under functioning, that can give you those physiological symptoms of increased heart rate without actually you know, the the psychological aspect of, of anxiousness. Mm. And having an underlying health condition, whether that's thyroid dysfunction, whether it's endometriosis or PCOS or chronic pain is always, well, I shouldn't say always, but most of the time you'll see an element of anxiety with these chronic conditions. There was a study that found that a third of people with inflammatory bowel disease have anxiety. So, you know, yes, I think there's a big gut-brain axis there, but also just having a chronic health condition contributes to how we feel mentally. I even noticed that post-COVID, after the lockdowns, I felt really anxious in crowds. Going into Sydney City or being on a packed train or a packed bus, that made me feel anxious. Um, And so I guess there's also those behavioural and situational influences too. Oh, for sure. And you often find and you often hear people say, 
you know, when they drink and drink more alcohol or smoking, you know, the days afterwards, they can feel more anxious or, you know, coming down, so to speak, from substance use or even just having too much coffee. We know that these factors increase feelings of stress and anxiety. I thought you're supposed to get stronger as you get older, but 18-year-old me at the front of the mosh pit to Skrillex was a lot more (laughs) mentally strong than I feel like I am now. I didn't even know what anxiety was back then. It's fair, isn't it? I don't know. It's just, yeah. And aside from all of these factors, I mean, the point of today's episode is to talk about the gut microbiome, but the gut plays a really big role when it comes to anxiety. And if we think about the gut-brain axis, which essentially is the communication between the gut and the brain, there's a few reasons why the gut can affect feelings of anxiety. One is related to serotonin. And what we know about serotonin, which essentially is our happy neurotransmitter, is that up to 95% of serotonin is produced in the gut. So if there's anything going on in the gut, undoubtedly that will affect our ability to produce serotonin and therefore have that effect on our mental health. Another reason though is inflammation. There's interesting research looking at inflammatory markers, including interleukin-6 and tumor necrosis factor alpha that are found in people with anxiety and depression. So we know that there's an inflammatory link. And we also know that in more than 40% of people with depression, this was another study, in more than 40% of people with depression, there was increased gut permeability, which you may or may not have heard of the term leaky gut, but essentially that's what we're talking about is the effect of the gut microbiome and the state of the gut microbiome and how that affects brain. Can I talk on that point for a second? And if we're thinking about, say, somebody who has endometriosis, so they've got that inflammation component, they've also got that gut impact as well because it's it's potentially messing with the gut microbiome and then potentially because of having a chronic pain illness they're more at risk of of low mood and reduction in serotonin so for somebody there that's definitely going to potentially have a role in their gut brain access yeah absolutely And interestingly, when we talk about gut permeability, I was listening recently to a podcast that was talking about that endothelial lining that uh, wraps around our intestines. It is the same thinness of if you get a shaft of hair and shave that down five times, that's how thin that endothelial lining is of your intestines. And so if you're getting chronic inflammation or if anything's happening in that gut, you can totally impair that permeability or that lining of the gut that which can cause further symptoms. So interesting. And when we talk about inflammation and, you know, what causes inflammation in the body, yes, there can be underlying conditions such as endometriosis, but also even things like stress and dietary factors and weight and poor sleep will affect levels of inflammation and then that can affect the gut microbiome. So interesting. Even over-exercise, we know that 
athletes, especially female athletes, um, they're at higher risk of things like uh, iron deficiency because of how much stress that can put on their body and their requirements for nutrients such as iron. So interesting. There was actually a, um, just speaking about exercise, there was this study out of the US in 2018 that found exercising just three days a week, you know, for 30 or 60 minutes per session for a total of six weeks improved the gut diversity independent of diet, which is so interesting. So yes, you know, too much of anything is going to have an effect, but talking about exercise, even if we just exercise three days a week for 30 minutes for six weeks, it's going to have such a beneficial effect on the gut and the diversity of the gut microbiome, because in the gut, we want diversity. We want all different strains and species. We want diversity in comparison to the vaginal microbiome where we don't. But I found that really interesting. Was The study wasn't even looking at supplements or probiotics or prebiotics. It's simply looking at exercise. And I think from that study that you're referring to, that was talking about a higher intensity exercise, um, which is interesting because it gets the heart rate up, it gets the body sort of sweating, lots of benefits there. There's a specific um, uh, microbiome species called Archimensa, and that is uh, elevated in people who have higher exercise capacity. And so that specific microbiome can be directly increased just through exercise. Which you don't often, you don't often think of exercise as, you know, you don't do it to support your gut microbiome. You do it more for energy or mood or weight or muscle mass or fat loss. But we now know that it it's so much more beneficial than that. Now we do it for the Archimensa. That's right. I'm going to make a shirt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do it for the Archimensa and I'll just wear it to the gym and just wait for someone to catch on. No one will. <laughs> no one will. They'll be like, I don't know what, you know, wear a different shirt. Yeah. Talking about food, though, what we know is that, uh, you know, it's similar to the gut microbiome where we want diversity. It's the same when it goes, when when we talk about food and what we want. And I don't, I don't know your opinion on this, Chloe, but what we want when we're supporting the gut microbiome is a lot of different things. We want healthy want, carbohydrates. When do we want it? Yeah, exactly. When we talk about carbohydrates, we know that healthy carbohydrates can increase serotonin. And so that's going to have, yes, an effect on the gut microbiome, but also an effect on mood. And Chloe, I know you personally, if you don't have carbohydrates and I'm the exact same, our mood, our mood is affected. Get me that sourdough stat. <laughs> and also fiber. Each five gram increase in total fiber is associated with a 5% reduction in risk of depression and, you know, also feelings of anxiety. So making sure we've got enough fiber, making sure we've got enough carbohydrates, making sure we've got enough protein. Protein can increase the release of dopamine and that's going to have a direct effect on mood as well. Interestingly, the CSRIO, they uh, released a study saying that Australians are not eating enough fresh produce. They're under eating fruits and vegetables. This isn't new. We know this, but I think it's just reiterating that extra fruit, extra veggies, extra legumes, they're all going to be beneficial on your overall health because you're supporting that microbiome, you're supporting that gut diversity. And it's something that 
people can do regardless of, you know, cost. Uh, you can get cheap and easy things, frozen peas added to bolognese's, uh, cans of legumes. They can be, you know, added to certain things as well. This is suitable for anybody on any budget. They can benefit their, their gut. I think that's a good point is that, you know, you don't need to spend hundreds of dollars on different supplements or anything to to start modulating your gut microbiome. You can do it through food and you can do it through exercise. You can also do it by looking at your environment. There's a link with exposure to heavy metals or pesticides or artificial colors and flavors and poor gut microbiome or poor or poor diversity in the gut microbiome. So turning to our environment and looking at our exposures and how that might be affecting the gut. And then if we talk about antibiotics, often antibiotics get a bad rap um, when it comes to the gut microbiome. There was a large epidemiological study in the UK from 2015 that revealed that one course of antibiotics can destabilize the gut microbiome and increase the risk for anxiety or or depression by about 20%. But what this study also found was that multiple courses of antibiotics increase the risk by almost 50%. And I don't know about you, but not often if I'm given a course of antibiotics or our clients are giving a course of antibiotics, are they told about the risk of anxiety and depression as a side effect? Absolutely not to say that antibiotics don't have their place. And in fact, you know, we do a lot of work in the fertility space and it can be quite game changing in that aspect. And of course, you know, they have their role and they have their place, but something to consider. Yeah. And I think it's more, you know, we get the question of how can I support my gut after a round of antibiotics? And again, you go to things like before you think immediately of a probiotic or a fiber powder, you think, okay, well, porridge with chia seeds and flaxseed meal and stewed apples and yogurt, all these things you're doing are supporting your gut microbiome. Um, because unfortunately, those antibiotics, they don't just choose the bad guys, they can wipe out everything um whether people know this or not but 50 percent of the weight of your stool is made up just from your gut microbiome wow Microbes. my these things i don't know why they stay in my head but they're there <laughs> if ever we need trivia questions or if ever i do go to trivia you absolutely would be my first pick of a teammate can you like, I, I don't know how I get through a day without sort of like overanalyzing everything. Like it can't just be a, yeah, a normal, a normal thing. I just have to overthink it and think about a stat associated. Um, but interestingly as well, Here we in go. Scandinavian countries and places like Germany, they've actually changed the design of the toilet seat so that it has a flat part so that you can analyze your stool before you flush it. What? Yeah. So how do that, you know this? Where, like, know. where did I, this come I, from? I don't know, but it, like the, they changed the, the toilet design because most people are ignorant to that. And unfortunately, things like colon cancer and colorectal bleeding, those things can be dismissed by people if they're not paying close attention to their bowel movements and what they look like. Um, and so interesting, yeah, that those toilets have been changed so that the stool will sit there before you flush. That is so interesting. And I suppose speaking about, you know, gut symptoms, we should probably touch on what to look out for. So, you know, of course, 
when you pass a bowel movement looking at your stool, is there blood? Is there mucus? Is there undigested? Yeah. But aside from that, you know, are you bloated all the time? Do you feel sluggish all the time? Do you get weird gut pain or stabbing pain in your gut? Do you experience constipation or diarrhea or fluctuate between the two? Do you get heartburn or reflux? You know, these could all be symptoms of poor gut microbiome. Or do you get anxious? Exactly. Yeah, the psychological aspect. But also in saying that, um, passing like flatulence, like does it have a bad smell associated? Mm. Is it no smell? What's normal, I think, is around 14. Of course you would know Flatulences. <laughs> you can say fart on the podcast, I think. <laughs> 14 farts. <laughs> Zoe Foster Blake the... didn't call her book no. Nobody Likes a Flatulence. She called it Nobody <laughs> Likes a Fart. It just makes me sound good when I say flatulence. Um, <laughs> but even the colour as well, because the reason that your stool is brown is because of broken down red blood cells. You just like know so many little things that it's just so great. I would love to just be inside your brain one day no, and be wouldn't. like, oh, that's such a weird thought. Why would she think about that? How I'm does she know I this? Sleep. <laughs> I'm like one of those people It's like, yeah, but why? And then I have yeah. to know. Yeah. One other area that I wanted to touch on was weight and weight gain, weight loss, and how the gut microbiome plays a role there. I actually had a client the other week who is doing research in this area, and it was so fascinating talking to her. She um, was talking about how, you know, diversity in the gut microbiome and different probiotic strains can have an effect on weight and when I then turned to the research to see, you know, what's currently out there, not a lot of human studies, but there was this study of mice that found that despite reduced food intake, when they did a transplantation of normal mouse, micro, mouse, mice, what's singular? Mice, mice. (laughs) When they did the transplantation of normal mice microbiota into a germ-free mice, which is like a mouse. Mouse. (laughs) Mice is plural, mouse is one. Far out. Okay. So transplantation of normal microbiota from one mice, mouse, one (laughs) mouse, to a germ-free mouse. Anyway increases body fat content by 60% and induced insulin resistance within 14 days. And this is just by looking at species in the gut microbiome. Mice really cop it, don't they? So so many diabetes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know. Look, I'm not, you know, we don't do things with animals, you know, so we don't like this, but, but this is the research that was available. And I thought this was so fascinating because often when we see clients that are trying to shift weight, you know, how often do they think about their gut microbiome playing a role there, but it absolutely does. And most people who are losing weight are wanting to do calorie deficit, which usually means a reduction in carbohydrates, and that's going to potentially throw off the the gut too. So as a part of being a naturopath, I think we need to think about every component of the body and how it influences 
that. And, you know, it's not as simple as A plus B equals C. It's all these other factors, your home environment, your work environment, your gut, your health history, everything plays a role. Your, the medications you take, you know, and often when it comes to anxiety too, people don't often think about the medications that they're taking and are they experiencing an adverse effect of that medication and that's what's causing the anxiety. The pill is a really good example. It's so well known that the pill can have side effects of anxiety and depression, but how often do you think of that when you're experiencing anxiety? So without sounding insensitive, we completely appreciate that anxiety for some people can be quite crippling. However, if you're dealing with mild feelings of anxiety and it, you can't really work out you know, why it's coming and going, let's start with some simple steps. And one would be breakfast. Make sure that your breakfast is balanced with good carbohydrates, whether that be sourdough, seeded bread, porridges, um, yogurts, fruits, those sorts of things. And then make sure that you're not only just eating breakfast, but you're having regular meals through the day. You want to be making sure that your meals are colorful. They have a level of fresh produce in them because again, that's not only supporting your blood sugar levels, but you're also supporting the diversity of your gut. Outside of food, movement, movement for your mental health and do something that you enjoy, whether that be a walk by the beach, whether that just be, you know, a bushwalk or walk around the block, get your body moving. I sort of think that we can be quite stagnant if you think about a, a pond that doesn't have flowing water. It builds up. It has this sort of film associated on top. So get your body moving. Get that blood pumping. What I... What I think too with exercise is that when you feel anxious and, you know, I have beautiful genes for anxiety, so I'm very aware of what anxiety feels like, but it can feel like, well, for me anyway, that there's just lots of energy in my body. Like I feel like, you know, my heart is pounding, I'm sweating, I've got rapid thoughts, I feel like I can't catch my breath properly. And so think of exercise as a way to like release all of that energy and get it out of your body. And for some people that may also look like a gentle movement or even just focusing on your breath. Mm. I really like uh, whether I've spoken about this before or not box breathing. And that is, you know, either having your phone or looking at your computer screen, four seconds in, four seconds hold, four seconds exhale, four seconds hold. Um, anything to just sort of reset that thought process because before we modernized what anxiety was, it was probably quite beneficial back way back when, mm. uh, when we were more in that sort of uh, survival mode. But now modern day stress, responding to emails, you know, we've got so much on our plate, um, changes in our diet. Yeah, it doesn't fit our body in the same way. Yeah, and think, you know, not that my points are really important, but if we go back to my really important point about moving to release that energy back in the caveman days, you know, they would feel anxious because, you know, something's running at them and they would run and they would release that energy and, you know, no wonder they can then come down from it. But if we're not having a release and then we're constantly exposed to work emails, social media, 
tension, you know, whatever's causing or triggering feelings of anxiety. No wonder we feel like we can't cope. Back in caveman days, I was probably like sitting around a fire making daisy necklaces. I would have been a great caveman just quietly. <laughs> I feel like I have the perfect, yeah, I, I would have the perfect body for it, for a caveman. If anything's chasing me, I just surrender. Like even if a dog, I'd just be like, take it, whatever, whatever <laughs> yeah, no, you want. <laughs> my time's up. Actually, yeah, maybe I wouldn't be a good caveman because, you know, often I think about someone breaking into the house. I know, I don't know, it's underlying thing. It's probably more I to it. I think about but it too. Do you? Yeah, yeah, no, I get anxious. Like if... Mayfield I, representative. <laughs> you have good reason to feel like the gangs. We got, no. no, you've just got a bunch of like 16-year-old boys. It's, yeah. But they do come in gangs. Anyway, whenever Stephen's not home, I get like I get quite anxious. I, like I feel like I hear things and I freeze. So maybe I wouldn't be a good caveman. I'd probably be eaten straight away by the lion. Yeah, your flight or flight. I am or freeze. freeze. I freeze. Like freeze I'll be in bed with the kids and I'll like, you know, I won't get up to go and investigate. I'll like tuck all of us into the bed and it's like this is it. The blanket will protect you. Gosh, I hope no one's listening that it has like, you know, you know, here I am just like exacerbating feelings of anxiety. Anyway, if anyone's listening and that, you know, let's just take a deep breath together. When Chloe says picture your phone what she means for anyone that doesn't know what box breathing is with the phone is that you picture the like perimeter of the phone so yeah, you breathe you picture like, like a square or a rectangle like the outline or, of it so yeah. you breathe in and look you know you follow it up and then you hold and then you follow the phone across and then you breathe out and you follow it down and you across. visualize a block box yes yeah. yes a block of chocolate <laughs> <laughs> yes that's probably a better example so yeah if you experience anxiety if you're looking for ways to start helping you manage anxiety i think we've listed a good place to start thanks for listening to this week's episode if you liked it leave us a review and follow us on socials we'd love to hear from you